open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Okay, welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a powerful interview today. We have Thaddeus Dreija and Joseph Poon, and they wrote the white paper on the Lightning Network. So welcome to the podcast, you two. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, Thaddeus, how, like, why Bitcoin? I mean, what's a little bit of your background? Why, why are you playing with this magic internet money? It's really fun stuff. Uh, I was, I think I read about it in like early 2011, and so it was like, that's that's crazy. That's never going to work. And it sort of reminded me of like Nutella, where it was this network that never quite died. And just even today, it still exists. Yeah, know, like the GN <laughs> Nutella, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's really cool. Sort of watching it. And I was like, this is never going to work. And just kept watching and reading about it for like a year. Actually, I think I started mining like the next day just to see how it worked. And I mined like, you know, five coins. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, so you were reading this paper early, huh? Uh, 2011. And then, you what, know, what, what were you doing that you would be reading a paper like it was this? Wired, right? Some like senator talked about the Silk Road or something. Okay. It was like, so there was a wired article. I was like, oh, what is that? And like reading the white paper and stuff. So then, you know, I, I actually went to get a PhD in cryptography because I was like super into Bitcoin after a year or so of reading about this. Uh, my background's in like electrical engineering. And I did that for a year, but academia at the time was not really into Bitcoin. Uh, so I moved to San Francisco and just started working at all these Bitcoin companies. And now that's how I met. Yeah. Uh, and so Joseph, you were actually kind of brainstorming this whole lightning network uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how this idea had its kind of its genesis. And then what was the catalyst to actually start getting a little bit more than just uh, daydreams? Yeah, so with Bitcoin, I first heard about it in 2010, and I didn't really like look into it that much because oh, I thought of course it was all not. silly. And you don't have a ton of coins. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought it was all completely silly. I actually don't have any coins. <laughs> I think I'm probably the fewest out of everyone at the meetups. But, but no, like I, I, I heard about it first in 2010. I thought it wouldn't work. I thought it was just silly. My background's in finance, so I was like, all the models, it's like, this is basically, I thought it was impossible, right? In 2011, when it started to work, when people started to use it for real, like, trade, I actually started looking into it. And it was very similar to Tej, where it was like, oh, I think this works, let's actually look into this. And it seemed to work. If you actually read it, you read the code, and it makes sense. Except for the problem where, you know, everyone needs to communicate all transactions with everyone else. That really tripped me up. Right, because of the Owen squared. Uh, yeah, yeah, that issue, type of right? thing where, you know, the more participants join, the higher the, the velocity of money, the higher the trade will be. And at that point, the system seems like it would start breaking down. I believe like that was sort of like we, well, as part of like Taj's research, like he was like, that, he was like, yeah, that's the first reply to Satoshi. 
when yeah, he announced when it. Satoshi, you know, put a link to the paper, told everyone on this mailing list. The first reply was like, this is a great system, won't scale. That was the first <laughs> thing anyone ever said about Bitcoin. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So it really tripped me up. And I've been thinking about it for a while since I first heard about Bitcoin. And I sort of presented a lot of those ideas in 2013 in San Jose at a Bitcoin conference. I sort of participated in a hackathon. I think a lot of people like didn't really understand what I, I was saying at the time, simply because it was like, you know, it's a little bit early for a lot of those ideas. Since then, I've been like refining it and thinking about it. And, and the actual been, paper. I mean, the, and yeah. the paper is like 59 pages. So. Yeah. I mean, like, I've, it's, I've, it sure is refined. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that is formatting. <laughs> but no, like, um, no, I've been participating in the Bitcoin meetup space in the San Francisco. <laughs> size 24 font. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I've been participating in the meetup space in in, in, California, in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, well, that's and, actually how I learned about Lightning. I went to the the first like real presentation that you guys did on it. Gosh, like in March January, or something, yeah, or January, March. yeah, February, February, yeah, 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 yeah somewhere so. back there. Yeah. I I just I was in town and like wandered into the meetup, and I'm like, oh, this solves yeah. a problem. <laughs> that, was, that was the first. That was the first time you gave a talk. Yeah, in SF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you gave one previously, Tej, but, uh, two or three, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we actually met, me and Tej met at, uh, yes. SF Bitcoin devs and SF Bitcoin social. And that's sort of like where, like, I talked to him about this idea and he was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, we've been working together and he refined a lot of the ideas and we've been co- collaborating on that. Yeah. Oh my I was, God. I was trying to do similar things. But like with a way different way, I was like, well, maybe if this guy doesn't know, you know, try to sort of wall off information. It's like, okay, this party doesn't know this and this party doesn't know this. But yeah. the, you know, the Lightning Network uh, idea is like a much better way to do it. So yeah. Like, oh, let's do this. And there's a lot of exploration <laughs> yeah. using like, you know, probabilistic payments and things like that as yeah. well. So what, um, I mean, what is it? Like, what is the Lightning Network? So the Lightning Network is a way to do high volume transactions. Uh, using real Bitcoin transactions. And it's functionally operates as a smart contract system using the Bitcoin scripting built into Bitcoin. I got a, I got a, shorter, you, got a you got a shorter it's a, it's one? It's a routed network. It's the switched routed network on top of a broadcast medium. Right? So like radio station, everyone gets it. You know, you can't have everyone using the same radio frequency at the same time. Okay. Uh, but like if you're in a network center and there's all these different switches and wires, it scales a lot better. Okay, so now we're getting it's an analogy, but well, well, no. Satoshi <laughs> yeah. said that you know Bitcoin is how we send value over a communications channel. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I like I like this this how we're honing in on you know we we need a switch operator, right? Or we need we need a way to not not be the all way- on the same frequency, all on the same particular channel uh, yeah. of of the communications, so- and yet we can use the programmable aspects of Bitcoin to abstract and and make interoperable a lot of a lot of these different networks and and protocols right so because i mean are we are we talking about like bitcoin's kind of the base protocol and then we'll have protocols built on top of it right yeah just like the internet and the different layers we have in that stack so right now with bitcoin the way people send transactions between each other it's sort of like if the internet was designed where everyone sends every single packet to everyone (laughs) So, you know, like as people start using the internet more and more, 
well, everyone needs to upgrade their lines. Everyone is going to be reaching capacity. And then that creates a lot of problems. And it's sort of like, I don't care about everyone else's traffic. I don't think, you know, like someone browsing the New York Times, I should receive that traffic. But you know, do care about how much money everyone else has. Yes. So this is the because, tricky. Because you <laughs> yeah. got to have distributed consensus. Yeah. You also have to know how much money there is total. Yeah. Yes. Otherwise, who knows? Right. So, <laughs> so there, there was a fun post by Greg Maxwell about the, the hamburger and the foot and the doorknob. And, mm. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so you do need a globe. You do need some global view of the network in order to assure, okay, there's a certain amount of coins and you know, where are they? But you don't care about all the transactions happening necessarily. So these seem to be incompatible in that I need to know the current, I need to know the net, the global state, but I don't care about all the transactions. So this is a way to sort of batch and, you know, caching layer in that I don't care about every transaction, but I want to see a state every so often. Yeah. Cause when I had Dr. Back on uh, for our week with uh, Adam back, he, he described the lightning network as a right cache layer for Bitcoin. It's very, very similar. It's, yeah. it's very similar, but it's functionally, it's a lot more it's a lot of the interesting aspects of the Lightning Network is that you're not delegating this right cash to a third party where you give them your coins. Yeah. All the channels right. are two party. Okay, so, so you and someone else. So is it an altcoin? No. no. Is it <laughs> no. trustless? Pretty much. <laughs> well, can, can somebody take the coins without your permission? If you screw up, maybe, but it's sort of like. The software will make sure you don't screw up in that way. Right. But the way it works is... In, in the software, will be a wallet that's actually implemented this. Yes. Right? Yes. So the wallet, it's similar to how your wallet in Bitcoin would not, you know, send coins to a random address. Yeah. And it makes sure that you're, uh, you know, you haven't flipped a bit or something. Right. Yeah. Um, you have these redundancy checks and these so, checksums and stuff like that. But yeah. it's not the situation where it's like Mt. Gox, where you give them all your money. They can run off with it, right? There's no type of custodial trust in this system. Okay, so you're not actually transferring the private keys to someone else. No, you, no. you never move private keys. You keep all your... It, the only thing is, if your equipment goes down... There is the possibility of loss, but that's yeah. this, that maybe that's is the same. You, 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 you got to yeah. back up your, <laughs> right, uh, you right. got to back up your keys. Uh, in this anyways. case, it's not just backup. You, there is a time, there can be time windows where I need to go onto the network within the next week and perform a transaction or I may lose money. There can be situations like that. Okay. But, um, with later softworks that will happen in Bitcoin, you can, you can delegate, delegate that. that to a third party who will check for you and that situation can be prevented. Well, how, how about privacy? And, and since we're creating an additional network on top of our, our original Bitcoin network, are we going to be able to have like onion routing in that network also? I mean, what type of privacy can, can we get out of this? Yeah. I'm, uh, we're working with, uh, well, Rose Beef is his GitHub name. He's designing and building, uh, onion routing on top of the Lightning Network. That's probably going to be a bit later than like, you know, version beta 0.1. But there's definitely people working on how to, you know, maintain privacy even on, on top of the Lightning Network. What about, you know, crossing the streams? Can can <laughs> this uh, work with with Litecoin or something, or like like how might how might that actually be applied? So the way Lightning Network actually works is it creates this network topology for transferring coins, where um, you are connected to other participants and you can move funds through them and 
you can enter into these relationships and close out these relationships at will. And when you enter into them, that's one blockchain transaction. And when you close out of it, that's another one or two blockchain transactions. So, um, so we're actually using blockchain as then the settlement currency for all the transactions that are taking place within the network. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting view that will sort of become, I, I, my view is that I think the settlement layer view will really be the way people use blockchains in the future, simply because if you take the view of the blockchain as an adjudication system, everything makes a lot more sense. It's sort of like how if you enter into legal contracts with another party, um, you don't go to court every time. In fact, probably less than, you know, a small portion of 1% of all legal contracts in the world really go to any type of court. So you can take the view that, you know, an entry on the blockchain is sort of like going to court. If we both agree on the state of our contract, we don't really need to have the global computer verified, right? It's also, um, it's better than court because you know exactly what the judge is going to say. Well, it's programmatic. It's <laughs> yeah. programmatically yeah. deterministic. So yeah. it's even less likely because like, why go to court if you know you're going to lose? You just, <laughs> you know, you, both parties can compute and see exactly what the servers, you know, the blockchain will do. So yeah, th- this is, this is fascinating. Uh, I, w- I was recently on a panel with uh, Nick Sasbo and mm-hmm. he made some very good comments about kind of the use of these smart contracts in Bitcoin. Uh, I bet people could find it, bitcoininvestor.com, if you really want to go try and find the panel. It was Nick Sasbo and Ed Moy and myself. So, uh, you know, you can go into further depth there. But when we're looking at how this is actually implemented, how is it going to look in the user interface for, for people? I think Bitcoin's hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think for the people that use QR codes, It'll be very, very similar where, you know, you just take the picture of the QR code and then you, you make a payment. If you make a payment on the computer where you copy and paste the Bitcoin address, it'll address. still have a, a, the Bitcoin address, but it'll also add a host name at the end. So it'll be, for example, Bitcoin address at tracemeyer.com or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. You need to actually create a TCP connection, connect to the server and then negotiate. So on, in Bitcoin, if I have your Bitcoiners, I can just send you Bitcoins. You you have no say in whether you receive them or not. In the Lightning Network, to establish channels and receive payments, both parties need to be online and communicating. Uh, so it's basically, you know, Bitcoin address, which is, you know, pub key hash at hostname. And then I connect to you. If you're online, I can make the payment. So we can't, you can't be offline and receive. Well, it's been a long time, but I thought we were able, we used to make transactions kind of that way at least with the ip address oh or the initial like way back <laughs> there was really the, early there like, was that functionality like that yeah i don't i think they took that out pretty I quick it didn't work it, it didn't really work yeah <laughs> like the whole bit dns thing like, yeah but but so you have to be online to receive payment although actually we didn't mention this um you can be offline if you have pre-established channels and yeah. both people are you know not on the internet but are connected to each other then they can create they can make payments and so, so we, we yeah. can actually talk about that a little bit later because yeah. there could be high frequency trading in like a data center where you're you're basically offloading mm-hmm. the functionality of the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or something onto yeah. something like this, right? Yeah, but you know, you could have a network of, you know, a hundred participants. They all have Bitcoin. Um they all go on a cruise ship with no internet. 
they all transact with each other. When they get off the cruise ship, they all broadcast onto the blockchain. And that's possible to do on the Lightning Network, which you really can't do on the Bitcoin blockchain since it assumes uh, network connectivity. Yeah. So, Thaddeus, maybe you can talk a little bit about the testnet getting forked and broken. Oh, so, so uh, our- because, because, I mean, we're, we're talking about a scalability solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been very contentious, this whole block size debate mm-hmm. issue which increases throughput, but doesn't really seem to increase scalability in a material way. And now like BIP 101 on testnet, like maybe you can tell a little bit like, what happened with this. Well, like, so, and like, what, how's it affecting developers who are trying to use testnet and stuff like that? I'm, we're maybe a specific, specific case in that my art cloud infrastructure is a whole bunch of raspberry Pis <laughs> under my desk. Cause you know, it doesn't make so much noise. You know. So yeah, if you have very limited hardware, which I think it's a kind of nice way to test as well, is that this is a very resource limited, you know, Raspberry Pi. We're, you know, 21 selling the Bitcoin computer, which is a Raspberry Pi. So that's sort of a, you know, baseline. Maybe Bitcoin should always be able to work on something that small. Or even if you 100x it, right? You yeah. know, it's sort of this model <laughs> where if you make Bitcoin a little bit larger, it's a commensurate increase in technical, in, in hardware requirements. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Mike, in the, case of the last few days, someone with some mining power said, hey, let's try the hard fork ability of BIP101 on the testnet, which I think is a really good test. I mean, yeah, let's see what happens. It's, it's a little annoying for me. I was like, I was trying to do other things not involving any of this on testnet, and then it like stops working, but whatever. So there was, it wasn't so much that there were larger blocks, because my software didn't recognize the, the 101 larger blocks. It was that there were extremely large reorgs, where, you know, you had thousands of blocks deep reorgs, and you'd run out of memory and, and all what, these things. What's a, what's a reorg? So are we, are we talking about a time machine here? Basically, <laughs> yeah. You're, you go back in time a few hours, days, and you say, okay, I'm going to mine off of this other block and, you know, make these blocks that you think are the current blocks obsolete. So this is why, you know, we have, say, six, tr- six confirmations, but you're talking yeah. about a reorg or or going back and potentially thousands. rewriting after thousands or two thousand, but this, this is, is on this test. Is te- this is a crazy testnet. world, right? Because right, <laughs> we got to test. We got to test all this stuff. Right? Well, the, the main thing in testnet is the difficulty drops down very quickly, and then to almost you know to one. Or so it's like Dogecoin. Uh, it's even worse. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> it, it, it's very volatile, um, and there's no real transactions. So there'll be like empty blocks for weeks, and then someone starts using it, and all the blocks are full. Because they just dump like millions of transactions. So it's, it's, it's very volatile. It's good for testing because things break on testnet because it's an extreme situation. And we don't actually have economic value at stake. Yeah. The last two were abandoned because they started to have a bit, uh, economic value in that people started trading testnet coins for real coins. <laughs> Where Poloniex? <laughs> uh, no, just on like Bitcoin talk forums, Bitcoin I think. OTC, I, I joke. Like I joke. Um, and so then it's like, okay, so we're on testnet three. Although testnet three is... Cripsy, Cripsy. They're yeah. trading them on Cripsy. <laughs> yeah. Testnet three has been around for a while though. 2012-ish it started. So... It's a very useful tool to see what breaks given, you know, larger blocks, reorgs, things like that. Yeah, maybe maybe if you're running a Raspberry Pi, you can't keep up with Bit 101. So it broke it broke your cloud, huh? Well, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it also it it probably could if the software were designed differently. So it's like, well, maybe we should rewrite some of these things so that it can well, deal. Who's going to do that? Well, I, I'll help you. <laughs> so so how about some some specific use cases of Lightning Network? You know, like who who's going to hire Bitcoin to do stuff? Who's going to 
who's going to use the Lightning Network to actually get economic value and utility out of it? So I think the biggest value for Lightning is for micropayments, first and foremost. Micropayments aren't interesting right now, simply because they don't really exist. Right now, Visa charges 29 cents plus, you know, three to five percent per transaction. Even PayPal, you know, a purely electronic system charges 30 cents for goods and services plus, you know, 2.9%. They don't really want to do micropayments. There's a lot of interesting opportunities, but it can only exist if there's a system that can support it. The well, reason well, they I don't. I mean, why do you think that is? Oh, yeah, yeah. The reason why? Yeah. So the reason why I don't think they exist is because fundamentally these institutions hold custody of your funds. When they hold custody of your funds, they need to do underwriting on those, on any transactions going through their network. Um, so functionally what happens is if you make a payment and someone wants to charge back, they're going to be giving you a phone call. And they're it going, starts using customer service resources and it costs yeah. money and lawyers, legal threats and like you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Over a payment that could be a hundredth of a penny. Right? Yeah. It's just, yeah. And so that's why we see credit cards, you know, they're great for $10 to about a hundred dollars. Anything above that, not so much. Anything below that, it's just not worth the time. And wire transfers, you know, serve that hundred dollars and above functionality for the most part. And so. Yeah, we just have this huge area, like $10 and below, which is just does not get used at all. I mean, even cash, we can only do pennies, yeah. right? So actually, Bitcoin, a lot of people thought could do micropayments. Right now, transaction fees on the Bitcoin network are about three to five cents US dollars. So now they're getting priced out of the yeah. Bitcoin network. Yeah. You know, like faucets or Satoshi dice or... Mm-hmm. You know, other use cases like that, they're, they're already starting to get priced out of the Bitcoin network. So what Lightning really lets you do is do a functionally an unlimited amount of transactions inside this network for very, very, very low cost. And you could do real micropayments. And by micropayments, I mean like one, you know, one millionth of a Bitcoin. Right? Wow. Yeah. Well, one Satoshi. Yeah. yeah, or one, yeah. 100 million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. one Satoshi yeah. is the We actually have less than a Satoshi in the software. But that, that's trusted. Yeah. Below one Satoshi, it doesn't, you know, sort of like, yeah, I'll owe you half a Satoshi. <laughs> you can't actually settle on the Bitcoin blockchain. But what this lets you do is let you send, you know, a, a one millionth of one Bitcoin. And that allows you to do really, really interesting applications that haven't existed uh, previously. Yeah. So, you know, when we're dealing with corporations, I, you know, I like reading their 10 Ks and it's like, oh, we've got, you know, $400 billion of assets. Like Berkshire Hathaway has $360 billion of assets. So in order for Warren Buffett, who's the CEO to, he has to set policy that goes, you know, down the chain and, and, and the people in their different organizations, they, they operate according to policy because, well, that transaction is just, a microtransaction of Berkshire to Warren Buffett, but it might be a hundred thousand dollars or something. Mm-hmm. How how is that similar to what we're talking about here in terms of being able to, you know, perhaps set policy that right. then governs some of these use cases? So a long, long time ago, Nick Zabo was talking about micropayments. And his thinking was this is all going to be automated. So if you're using, let's say, micropayments to pay for advertising. Human interaction is just silly, right? The cognitive load of thinking about these types of payments that could be, you know, amount to a tenth of a cent 
it's just not worth it to think right, about. Right, because of the, the time and attention is your only real limited commodity. Yeah. And as society gets wealthier and wealthier, you know, that threshold for what constitutes a microtransaction will rise. I mean, mm-hmm. if we get wealthy enough as a society, and it, we even see it with billionaires, you know, they don't want to even have to think about what the price of something going into the fridge is. Yeah, you know, they just want to set policy and it have, wants to show up. They have people to buy stuff for them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so similarly, you know, if you have your phone and you, you know, set, have your settings, your policies on, okay, I will pay this much to not see ads on news sites and I'll pay this much to get internet from places and I will play this much for, you know, you set your policies for how much you're willing to spend. And you could even have your policies automated. Like, Hey, if I just got paid and I have a lot of money, get a little more liberal with my use of money and <laughs> buy more. <laughs> so eventually you might see these policies or expert systems start becoming more programmatic themselves where, you know, you start applying machine learning to, you know, your spending and things like that. And there may be interesting yeah. applications for that as well. So, so, I mean, we're, we're starting to talk about, you know, machine to machine payments. We're talking about the internet of things. Is that kind of like how your brain works? You know, yeah, a yeah. little bit like, I mean, like yeah. maybe you could have got an analogy for us here. So, so, so for me, like a lot of IoT is just silly, right? A lot of it's like your toaster paying your fridge. There's no, it doesn't make sense, right? I think the whole IoT narrative makes a whole lot more sense if you view it from a micropayments first perspective. And what I mean by that is if you view all IoT devices globally as a single entity and a single system, then taking a view of payments first builds this sort of incentive model into this system. So in effect, devices to device payments sort of become a dopamine within the system. So you build this incentive structure and individual devices want to maximize the amount of Bitcoin they have. And that creates this a more functioning system. And it, and it gets fed right into those plugged into the matrix, right? They get their, <laughs> they get their dopamine. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we, I actually interviewed Eric Jennings. He's the CEO of Filament, which uh, they raised $5 million for Internet of Things applications. And so we've talked to them. You've they're, talked they're to, cool. talked to the Filament guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think, I think we're going to see just a huge explosion in automation, you know, kind of like when electricity came on the scene, you know, now people had washing machines and it freed up just a lot of time. And now they, and they didn't have to spend all this time making candles. You know how much human labor actually went into <laughs> making candles? I mean, people, people, even today, you know, if you have to earn about $10 a day in order to have access to a washing machine. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the threshold. $100 a day, you have access to airplanes. And, you know, as, as the world population, the billions of people get that access to the washing machine, you know, it's going to free up time. They can read books to their kids. Their kids can then go to college. And, and next thing you know, we're, we're like the threshold for microtransactions just keeps getting raised and raised because we get more productive and more wealthy as a society. Yeah, everything's um, getting cheaper. And yeah, like everything that. gets just so much cheaper. So what, I mean, how about, how we, we mentioned it earlier, the high-frequency trading application. Like, how how might that function? And, like, colored coins, can they function on this stuff? So I don't want to, like, oversell it now because what we're working on now, like, it'll, it'll happen in seconds. I don't want to say, like, you know, microseconds because it probably won't. I mean, that's, like, really hard to, you know, getting the last, you know, really fast part is like so hard software engineering. I think, I think if everyone's in a building, right, could you could, fast. you could get milliseconds, no problem. And that's a lot better than, you know, a block confirmation of 10 minutes. And I these, think. and these are trustless atomic transactions mm-hmm. that yeah. then get settled onto the Bitcoin blockchain. 
Yeah, every so, 10 so there's no custody. There's no, you know, delegating of custody, right? So, so if you had this type of asset coin, you can have, you know, instantaneous trading between them, nearly instantaneous yeah, trading. Real fast. Not, yeah. not like, you know, cause the HFT, you know, if, if you're talking to like HFT guys who like actually do this stuff in like New York City, you know, they're talking about like microseconds and nanoseconds. Like we're not quite well, there yet. Wait, but <laughs> what is the social role of microseconds and nanoseconds? Right, exactly. I think milliseconds is sufficient to build a functional system. Yeah. Well, and I mean we've got we've got uh, post trade settlement, mm-hmm. which yeah. costs banks you know billions and billions of dollars every year, and yet it could all be automated programmatically. Yeah. And and they, I mean, they actually post trade settlement. They're dealing with like paper yeah. still. Yeah. And a lot of, they all know so, they need to fix this part of their system. So I mean, if you say you know the, the actual trade execution happens in you know within a couple milliseconds for you know HFT type stuff that they're not done clearing and settling. That's you know the standard T plus three. They're talking about making it faster. T plus two, you know, in some regions. How about T plus a millisecond? Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, you wouldn't even have T because yeah. I mean, you're you're atomically settling yeah. when you when you execute the smart contract and decide to buy, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we don't really know. Like, we're sort of building it for Bitcoin. We're not quite designing it for equities and coin. You know, all this sort of blockchain technology narrative. Wow. But it's it's definitely going, you know, something like this or the Lightning Network will be a big part of that. Whatever ends up being, you know, it's sort of like we're building it for Bitcoin today because Bitcoin's there today. But we we'll, we may be building it for this next year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so very contentious question, Joseph, like the block size uh, debate, <laughs> like where do you where do you fall? Me? I, I've I'm pretty like I think there's a wide range for what is acceptable. I think I think it's sort of the meta discussion that interests me where it's sort of like is this a good idea to do a hard fork right now? I think, you know, obviously Bitcoin you know can't support that many transactions. Lightning will definitely help in increasing the amount of transactions available to to participants. But if you can't even get onto the system, you can't even make a block tra- blockchain transaction, you need to be able to accommodate for that. Um, whether it be, you know, 248, 8 megabytes or whatever, I think I'm sort of okay with, you know, whatever number is chosen as long as it's practical. Um, I'm not one of those people that believes, you know, block size should be one megabyte forever. I'm be disappointed. <laughs> but, you know, if that's what happens, then that's yeah, what happens. I mean, but that's sort of what we des- – like, one of the reasons to build this is, like, what if we're stuck? You know, and sort of, like, yeah. our opinion doesn't matter that much because we're yeah. not mining and we don't yeah. decide these things. But if it gets stuck at one megabyte forever, well, Lightning can help yeah. more people use it than otherwise would be able to. I hope it doesn't get stuck at one megabyte forever. But what Lightning really solves is not just block size, right? It, it, it solves this – dichotomy that will exist with large with with um with full blocks so what will happen is let's say you think eight megabyte makes sense let's say you think one megabyte forever makes sense it's it sort of doesn't matter right if you view if the primary threat to bitcoin is when is when the block reward goes down Mm. right let's say you know right now we're, we're at 25 bitcoin per block let's say it eventually you know goes asymptotically close to zero what will happen is that you really want transaction fees to go up, right? In order to pay for, for the this securities. Yeah. yeah. So what you Perfect. want is basically the blocks to be somewhat constrained in size, right? And you want p- 
people to be able to pay, you know, what would be a fraction of what people get for block rewards today instead of zero, right? Or so, so that, small that you can have reorgs all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a mess. So what Lightning lets you do is have moderate size transaction fees, but still be able to do everyday transactions on using real Bitcoin without delegating it to a third uh, party. So we get to have our cake and eat it too. Yeah. The well, idea the is to happy. We're happy. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea. The idea is to have the cake and eat it too. It, it lets you do, it lets, it lets you make sure that, you know, miners are going to get paid and you could do, you know, transactions that are worth one penny. Right. Tr- Trilli- trillions of them. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if, you know, a blockchain transaction fee is something like $3, to, you know, so it'll cost you $3 to open or close a channel. That's kind of too much to use Bitcoin for everyday things. But if you're only doing it by opening and closing a channel a few times a year, it's no big deal at all. And this problem will exist no matter what block size you choose. Yeah. So our last question, like, why do you hire Bitcoin? You know, why, why do you, you want to own Bitcoins? Like, why do you hire it? Well, I don't know that many Bitcoin, but <laughs> I, I, it's primarily a technical interest for me. Okay. Yeah. I, I've, I also saw it as like, this is going to be really hard to kill. This is a cool, like weird, emergent, meta equity kind of system that like I've, I've never seen anything like it before. It's, it's a currency, but it's not really a currency in that like I have a bunch of $20 bills in my wallet. That doesn't really make me feel like I want to help the current Federal Reserve system. Even though I am a stakeholder, right? <laughs> um, I think owning like, a little bit certainly helps. Yeah. Whereas once a lot of people in Bitcoin is like, yeah, I, I kind of like this thing. I kind of want it to work better. And that's what we're working on. Yeah. Uh, dollars don't quite work that way. They just don't do it for you. Well, I mean, they're, they're, use, they're obviously very useful, but you don't feel like invested in the entire financial system by having some cash. But I mean, they got the picture of dead people on there yeah, that like yeah. are your rulers, right? I mean, I've never met those guys. I mean, they, they all died before I was young, so. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really been a, a great interview. Thanks for taking the time out uh, yeah, to, to come and help explain the Lightning Network to everybody and some of these potential use cases. And I'm sure that as uh, the technology continues maturing, you know, we'll we'll pick up this discussion again. And see where it's at. Do we have any any estimated uh, timeline on when we might actually have code? <laughs> uh, we want to get like a version that'll work on our own test net within three months. On all these right. Raspberry Pis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah no, we're on Raspberry Pis. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get it out within three months. We're gonna our have binaries. A... So that's, that's when uh, <laughs> Fe- February, March uh, yeah. 2016? Yeah. Um, and we'll have, you know, a GitHub repo out soon. Yeah, GitHub should be this year, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we'll have stuff. And then, you know, Rusty's working on his own yeah. GitHub repo. We're, we're having a, an implementation in Go, uh, using BTCD's code base. Um, there's other people working on it. So there's like a lot of work being done. Yeah. There's a lot of community development on it. And like, we're definitely like very happy with that. It's, it's, yeah. it's good because you need a lot of different implementations. There's a lot of different wallet implementations. Like there's Bitcoin different routing, different routing implementations, different yeah. node discovery. There's a lot of ways. It's not like Bitcoin where everyone needs to run the same software. Right. So it's, it's more like browsers in that you can have three or four different browsers. They might look slightly different and render the page different, but they all work and that, you know, makes a better ecosystem. But eventually you need, you need yeah. them all to you communicate want, with you. You want HTML other. to look more or less the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where do people go to learn more about uh, the project? Lightning.network 
<laughs> so light, lightning.network. It's no. pretty bare bones at this point. We might spiff it up. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- thanks so much for being with us. We've had uh, Thaddeus Dreja and Joseph Poon, the designers of our uh, Lightning Network, which hopefully will help us scale Bitcoin to trillions and trillions of transactions uh, worldwide. So thanks for being with us. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. thank you for having us. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. 